It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Miles David reporting. I was going to say reporting live from Melbourne, but that's not the truth. I wish I was because the weather seems to be a bit better in Melbourne than it is here in the States. But we are back with another episode of Tuned Into Tennis, and we are smack dab in the first Grand Slam of the 2024 tennis season. The Australian Open AO 2024 is here. Things are a bit interesting at the Australian Open this year because there's a 15-day play schedule. Play started on Sunday down in Melbourne, which was Saturday in the States. So tennis has been on for a full weekend now, and now we are recording this conversation on Monday. And I'm glad to be joined by one of my earliest supporters of the vision of Tuned Into Tennis, a guy that I can always count on to give me good feedback and uh, real feedback. And someone that reached out to me to be on the show because their schedule allowed for it. And who am I to pass up a wonderful supporter of Tune Into Tennis and being on the show? Why would I pass that up? So I'm happy to be joined by Tobias. Tobias, where are you joining me from today? Um, I'm in Alaska, as we are calling it for the next couple of days, <laughs> a.k.a. You say Alaska? <laughs> yes. Um, if anybody is familiar with what happens apparently now, because this is a running theme, it seems, around late February, uh, well, early February, late January, Dallas becomes Alaska, and we have snow and ice and sleet on the roads, so... And it's currently like 10 degrees here right now. So, Alaska. 10 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Yes. In Dallas? Yes. I'm in, I'm close to New Orleans and I don't feel any of that. But then I'm also very warm natured and love the cold, even though I'm from a very not cold place. So, none of this is bothering me. I'm not even keeping up with the weather reports because I feel great. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, school closures, business closures or delay openings, depending on what you have going on. Um, as of right now, it doesn't appear to be as bad as it was last year, where essentially the 
whole DFW Metroplex shut down for like three days. Um, today has seemed to be like the worst of it, and everything should go back to normal tomorrow. Just will be very cold, but um, yeah, apparently this is a a thing that happens here. Apparently. And speaking of things that happen, apparently, are you back to feeling like the AO is officially a thing now with a couple of your favorite players higher up in the ranks and maybe giving you a reason to stay up all night? Yes, um, I definitely have stayed up a couple of nights to kind of catch everything. Um, I feel like the schedule, the three-day start has kind of helped them sprinkle people out to make you want to stay up Mm -hmm. and I have to cram everything where you feel like you're missing stuff by watching a particular match. Fair point. Cause over the three days so far, I've been able to watch a lot of tennis, but I haven't been, like I told you before we press recording, it kind of snuck up on me, Australia as a whole, because I was just really wanting a break from tennis, which is something they really need to iron out as far as a, 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 actual off season that you get post ATP WTA finals and then straight into Melbourne. Cause that's really like only maybe two weeks and that's, and that's pushing it, but it all kind of snuck up on me. I've been watching the matches, but I've not been in my uh, diligent podcast on the mic, giving my opinions out into the, uh, into the world. I haven't gotten into that sphere yet, but I'm bad. I'm, I'm back. I'm, happy to be back and talking tennis with you because I know that you really appreciate the Australian Open. You know I do. And we should get into it. Uh, let's let's work our way backwards because we are in day three, the ending of the first round at the AO. And let's look at who's actually playing on the court as we speak. So we have a I don't know. Should I say this person is a hot topic between both of us? Like, I feel like she comes up pretty often. Do you know who I'm yes, talking about? She definitely does. I'm talking about Sloane Stevens. <laughs> she comes up often. She comes up often in the tuned into tennis Twitter spaces and just in general. Uh, she just finds her way to be relevant, even if her results aren't necessarily great. She always feels like a player that, um, and I've been feeling a lot of this lately, actually. She just feels like there's a what-if moment or like there's just something that you can squeeze out and you never know when it's going to happen. So you have to really pay attention to her so you know when it's about to click for her, you know? And so far, she's up a set in her first-round match against wild-card Olivia Gadecki. She's up a set. And a break, yeah, she just broke. So uh, hopefully that's not too out of date by the time you listen to this. Well, it will be out of date, but hopefully Stone Stevens continues on a, a, a victorious path. Because I don't, I don't know. There's, there's some just from her social media posts. You can tell me if I'm, if I'm off base here. But from her social media posts, there seems to be something a little bit renewed in her. Um, her pre, her pre tournaments before Australia, I think she went one and one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she should be swinging pretty freely because, unfortunately, this is not a great stat, but she hasn't won her first round match at Australia at the Australian Open since 2019. It's been a pretty bad stretch full of first round losses for Sloan. But, you know, knock on wood, I hope anything I just said doesn't <laughs> doesn't endanger the win she's in, in place to get. But I'm, I'm rooting for her. I don't I need to pull up her draw to see what things could be possible. You know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to let uh, match by match, match by match alone. Yeah. And I think that's why she tends to come up in any tennis space 
quite often because kind of like you said, we have seen Sloan at her heights winning the 2017 U.S. Open, playing both consistent offense and defense and being just overall probably a little bit more aggressive than she has been in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, I kind of feel like people are kind of like, we know what she can do. Why isn't she doing it? And it's, seems to be that she can't really just put it together anywhere else but on the clay or in Paris, it seems like, mm-hmm. the last couple of years. But to your point, maybe she um, – it does seem like she took a nice bit of time to get in a nice training block before heading down under. And even though her results didn't kind of pan out the way she preferred, it, she looks like she's – being a tad bit more aggressive, especially with her forehand, which is probably what got her to win the U.S. Open in 2017. It's a it's a pretty healthy barometer. If her forehand is firing and she's finding open space, and to me, usually it's often in Sloane's eyes when she's kind of dialed in. From the highlights I've seen, she does look a bit more uh, outwardly engaged to be out on the court, and that's always been a... a, a a point of contention like is Sloan engaged does she does she really care about the outcome of this match sometimes she she can look like she's going through the motions but I haven't seen that yet and I hope I don't see it for a while because she's on the I'm not trying to age her here but just realistically she's on the latter half part of her career and I'd like to see her squeeze out what she can um in in her 30s now now that she's officially in them and I think it'll be fun to kind of see what a what a a Sloan resurgence would look like and why not start it here at Australia with a couple of good wins I mean it is definitely possible um and this I is where like, this is where her first her first uh-huh. little jolt, not little, but her first big jolt into the tennis world came in Australia over uh-huh. ten years ago, twenty thirteen. Yes. Yeah, so yes, I feel like she is. Um, she's a similar player in like confidence and results, like Garcia, which I'm quite sure we'll discuss um, a little later. Where like mm-hmm. when she's playing well. She's playing well, and it's really hard to beat her because she plays offense and defense well. But when she's not, things can kind of crash and burn very quickly. Ooh, crash and burn. That reminded me of the drink I almost ordered at Copeland's in New Orleans a couple days ago. Those things can put you on your behind. If you know, you know. And if you don't know, you should come to New Orleans and order a crash and burn from Copeland's. Tobias, next time you come to New Orleans, we can get a crash and burn. Okay. It sounds just just as strong as it is. Oh, okay. No, it's it's as strong as it sounds, I should say. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Also as strong as they look. In Arthur Fees, he's also on court. He's dropped the opening set against Yuri Vesely, who's also a strong player. I mean, he's one of those um, thicker build, stockier tennis players that can really uh, move the ball around. And he's also a lefty, Yuri Vesely. So that that was always going to be a tricky match, especially for Arthur Fees, who I don't believe has a main draw victory at the AL yet. He's super young, so that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. Um, no, I think his ranking was too low last year. At this yeah, point. yeah, and he comes in off of his off of the, he's not seated. He's just outside of it because he's uh, low low thirties in the world, something something thereabouts. So hopefully he gets that together because I'm rooting for him to have another really. Uh, 
progressive season in 2024. Although I lost to Yuri Vesey wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because he's definitely the more experienced player. I'm rooting for Arthur because he's easy to root for so far. Like he just seems like a cool kid and has his head on straight. And hopefully this is the thing that kind of gives me a little bit of pause and it's not his fault. It's more so his, his country and flag. He's a Frenchman. Yeah, that that French flair to always want to entertain, a la Gael Monfils, who I got in trouble with a couple days ago on Twitter for voicing my opinion. If you know, you know. Um, but he, Gael, Sanga, Jill Simon, Richard Gasquet, all of them were, were good in their own right. But you have to admit that they had a flair for uh, prioritizing the, the show instead of the success if that I, makes sense I wouldn't necessarily put Sangha in that category um Gail Gail definitely like <laughs> for sure like I would put more Francis with Gail and Arthur with Sangha if we had to do the two that's unfortunate. Do we have to link all the black brothers together? Not necessarily <laughs> but when you talk, like when you talk about like the flair like watching some of Francis's match I don't recall what day it is at this point, but he played on uh, opening day. I'm pretty sure, or, or Sunday. One of one of these past. Yeah, days. this was like don't recall on what day it was. With he hit a shot, and it was like you really didn't have to do that. It would have been great if you made it. Would have been awesome, but a regular, you know, little forehand would have got the job done. And I think that's that was somewhere in that third set that he ended up losing that kind of turned that set. So it's like, uh, like I get it. We'll, we'll circle back to Tiafo because I was impressed in certain parts of his match. But back to Arthur, I, 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 I didn't really put that in there to kind of down him because I really am big on him. It's just when I see that French flag sometimes, I, just based off of my history in tennis, I get a little, please don't, please don't disappoint me. I mean, you're, you're, you're not wrong. Like I say, excluding Sangha from the group that he came up with, the rest of the Frenchmen, I feel like Sangha's results are more so injury related or like they're opposed to just having questionable shot selection on the court, like a Gael or Gasquet, like the rest of them is more so shot selection, mm. especially against the big guns. The big guns. Hopefully Arthur can become a big gun and work himself out of the tiny hole he's created here in his first round match. I'd like to see it. Uh, I believe he could face Roman Safulin, who's been in good form in the second round. That's off the top of my head. I should fact check that. But this is not one of those episodes where I have a full-fledged agenda, okay? This is more more in the, in the pocket of what I do on tennis Twitter and spaces and just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about the sport as if we were in a bar, which is something I advocate for. I really want a tennis-themed bar or at least a bar I can go to that has a tennis-themed night slash day consistently if that doesn't happen if i don't stumble across one of those hopefully in the not so distant future i can create one of my own that's a a little 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 insight into what my dreams and aspirations are one of them at least um Okay, I think those are all the notable names that are playing right now as we speak. There's some other names that are that are of note that are seated and playing right now. Kasakina's up a set. Cam Norris serving for the first set. Um, 
Oh, the Roman Safulin, who I just mentioned, he's serving for the second set after winning the first 6-2 over Talon Greekspor, which would be an upset by seeding. So there's that. So we've got some of the current events that are soon to be out of date once you listen to this and I upload it. But let's talk about, let's go backwards a little bit. Let's talk about some of the matches that I watched just a couple of hours ago and they're relevant because... Um, People are talking about them. Some of the greats and the analysts are talking about them. And let's go all in on Naomi Osaka. Okay. Um, Naomi Osaka played her first round match against Caroline Garcia, the 20th seed, and lost in two tight sets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me pull up the score. I know the second set was a tie break. The first set was, I want, I want. It was only one break, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I want women's singles results, you tennis app. I want. Women's singles, yes. Uh, Caroline Garcia defeated Naomi Osaka 6-4-7-6. And I watched every ball of that match. I was... Uh, how, do I, how do I sum up my feelings after the match? I should have had this prepared. <laughs> but on the, on the fly, I am... Uh, what's a word for? I'll just use the word encouraged by what I saw from Naomi, and then also to us to a point encouraged by Caroline Garcia's display to take out the threat that Naomi was as an unseated player. But I also have been watching Caroline Garcia for quite some time, and these these spurts of good play typically are followed by spurts of not so good play. So I'll see how she matriculates through the drawing and goes about it. But as far as Naomi, who, um, you know, let's be honest, is the bigger name and the name people are going to be talking about from that match. She didn't look terrible at at, at all, like nowhere near terrible, um, which is quite the opposite of what some tennis channel pundits are saying. Well, they're not saying that she looked terrible. I just, just to put it out there, I just watched a clip of Martina Mm -hmm. Navratilova on tennis channel saying that Osaka looked out of shape when she was going for balls and also compared Osaka's comeback to that of Lena Svitolina who had her baby in 2022 and came back, uh, Shortly after, but Svitolina was also losing to players in her first couple of matches as well. But, <laughs> but even if you, I think you have to also stop and think about them as players prior to babies. Like mm-hmm, Svitolina's mm-hmm. strength is her movement. Like she is a mover. She runs down tons of balls and wins points. She probably has no business winning off the street. She's a scrambler. She's a scrambler naturally. That, yeah. that is part of her game. Before she had this newfound power on the forehand, that's how she won most of her points. Naomi didn't start winning Grand Slams until she improved her movement. So it would make sense that even after all the work she's done post-baby, that her movement would lack a tad bit in that area because that's not necessarily one of her strengths. Mm-hmm. So I just don't necessarily think that was a great take, but, you know, who am I? I mean, Navratilova has definitely kept her opinions um, about Naomi Osaka specifically. If you go back to the 2021 saga at the French Open, she's definitely not been afraid to air her opinions, which I feel like is fine because I'm not afraid to air my opinions. I feel like I come from the school of Wendy Williams. I'm a straight shooter. Pow, pow. I try to be and I don't try to be malicious in my shooting, but I also say how I feel. So I guess I can relate to what Navratilova is thinking when she's saying her opinion. But how it came off in that clip wasn't the greatest, especially considering how Osaka, how Osaka has um, 
been has bared the brunt of some of Navratilova's comments about her mental health and it not being that serious. And now the first match she comes back, the first Grand Slam match she plays, Navratilova is one of the first people saying she needs to get in better shape. When in actuality, from my perspective, she didn't lose that match because of shape. Like she didn't look, she didn't look a step slow to, enough to be on the WTA tour. She looked like this was her third match coming back after having a baby, if you look at it from a wider lens. But in that match, I never felt like, ooh, Osaka is coming up short. She's, she's you know, breathing heavily. Like, I, I never felt that personally. That's you know, not a, that, I, in, in real life, that's not a first-round match. Like, let's just... It didn't feel like one. It if, did not feel like a first-round match at all. If Garcia played, kind of like we mentioned with Sloan, if, like, if they're playing consistently well and are ranked where they're supposed to be. They're not, in Garcia's case, ranked as low or Sloan being a dangerous floater, as Serena liked to call it. And if Naomi is not coming back from having a baby, she's not unranked in the first, you know, in a first-round drawing, a player like Garcia. Like, that's that's a two, like, at worst, a top 10 and a top 20 player playing each other in the fourth round. Like if every if everything is what it's supposed to be and what it could be like, so that's not a first round match. That's like a Halep losing to Maria Sharapova when she lost at the U.S. Open. Like Ooh. that's not the same thing. Enjoyed that match. Um, sorry to, ha- to Simona Halep stands that may be listening to this because her career is in flux right now for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, but that's not the point. Um, I think like what you said, if everything is fair, and I think I was giving Naomi Osaka a little bit too much credit before the match because I was really trying to formulate how Garcia was going to win that match because the only thing we had to go off of was the last time they played, which was like a 6-3, 6-2 win for Osaka in Melbourne. And I just thought maybe Osaka would have had some of the sparks that she's had in Australia over the years as a two-time champ and get over that match. I'm I'm not, you know completely capitulated that she lost because it is a first round only her third match back but um there were definitely some points where rust showed to me it was it was the finishing points off of floating balls especially on her backhand side that just clipped the tape or got you know (laughs) she missed misaligned her feet or kind of covered the ball too much those were the things that stood out to me not necessarily going back to Navratilova's point or her opinion, not that she was out of shape. And then again, like you said earlier, Osaka's never been the person that makes her her living going in and out of the corners. She makes her living from from punishing anything short and putting it into the yeah, open court she, with she, the Osaka's playing how Osaka should be playing. She's dictating and not running. Her opponent's running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's be honest, like there's another component. Like Garcia played very well. She played well. She played well. Played high tennis. Like she did. She just won with the year in championships like two years ago. 2022 when it was in Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that was kind of like the caliber of play she played at the other night. Like we also know that she can double fault and spray forehands, but she wasn't doing that. It's kind of how she played in the U.S. Open a couple of years ago where she kind of was a buzzsaw until everything fell apart and then she wasn't. Because hmm. she beat Coco kind of handily in that uh, U.S. Open as well. Mm-hmm. And then Coco turned around and beat her at the 2020 Australian Open. So it kind of depends also on what kind mm-hmm. of Garcia you're, is coming to the match as well. Mm-hmm. Well, if Garcia plays like that in her next round, she's going to be an interesting opponent to come up against. And 
based off of seeding, it could be a fourth round match with uh, Coco Golf if they both win their next couple of rounds. So I'd be interested to see how that looks because they played in the quarters of the U.S. Open in 2022, and Garcia won that pretty comfortably. So I'd be interested to see what a Grand Slam champ Coco Golf could bring differently to that matchup. But we'll get there if we get there. Um, any other thoughts about Osaka before we move on to somebody else? Um, no, just like you said, I think that's very encouraging. Like, again, considering she just had a baby about six months ago to even be playing is crazy. The fact that she, like I say, she doesn't look bad. The power is still there. Again, it's just going to take the repetition. And like you said, repetition, with, three, yeah. with, three, with three matches in, anybody who's played tennis or anybody who's watched tennis, everybody makes a comment, you know, you can't replicate what you do um, on the match court in practice, you can only, you know, you can only get the matches as you get them. Like, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I agree. But pushing the number 20 seed to a tiebreaker is an indication that something's good. Something's good is going to keep happening or I shouldn't say that things are going to keep happening for Naomi Osaka. And I hope they're all good. Is that your, is that your, your laptop mm-hmm. or mine? Mm-hmm. No. Close that out, Tobias. You're messing with my audio. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's see we said i said we we're gonna work backwards we talked about coco a little bit let's jump to her match uh she put on a pretty good display in her first round match against anna carolina schmidleva winning six three six love um or six oh if you are not familiar with love with what love means in tennis as i was trying to describe that to a, fr- a friend and colleague of mine this past weekend it was Tennis terminology can be such a uh, whirlwind of things to wrap your head around, especially if you're not familiar with how any of it goes. So, yes, zero means love in tennis, or love means zero in tennis, however that goes. Either way, Coco looked pretty great. She played at an appropriate level to get the win over her opponent. I watched a a fair amount of that first set. It wasn't um, the sharpest I've ever seen Coco look. It definitely had some uh, momentum shifts and breaks and, you know, a couple of faulty forehands and double faults from Coco, which I have to say, and I know you may agree with, with, with me on this, outside of the fact that she's a young black girl, right? She reminds me so much of Venus as far as the strengths and weaknesses because yeah. Venus also... Venus, when Venus was a 19 year old, she got a lot of acclaim for her power and her movement things that Coco Golf are getting acclaimed for. That power on the first serve is there when she's hitting it well. She can hit it into the 125s and beyond. The power on the backhand is world class, similar to what people said about Venus all those years ago. And what's even I don't know, I wonder if I should say scary, but what's even more similar is their weaknesses. The second serve can be a point of liability if Coco isn't, you know, tossing the ball in the correct position, which happened quite a little bit because the sun was in uh, both of the opponent's eyes. And her forehand can be the point that you, if you put enough repetitions to it, it can start to break down on, on a, on a given day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the wing. Um, so I, I know Coco idolizes Venus pretty pretty well, so it's funny that they have similar strengths and weaknesses at similar points of their game. Um, but Coco, like I said, she looks strong. I'm looking at this picture of her right now. She has put on significant muscle mass. She definitely uh, in the gym. She has definitely been in the gym. She's been taking a creatine and all that yeah, stuff. She's <laughs> definitely been putting in the hard yards, which I'm interested to see how that plays out for her. Um, just because. 
you know, different players, different strokes for different folks. Um, whereas some players, I think it was Yelena Yankovic. Um, she felt like when she bulked up after she reached number one, she felt like she wasn't moving as well, which is, again, a strength of her game, and she couldn't play her best with the extra muscle. So it'll be interesting to see how Coco um, plays with the extra muscle. So far, so good. Um, like you said, the forehand, it's really a spacing issue, essentially, I feel like. Like when she gives herself enough space from the ball, she definitely hits it a lot better, especially the inside-out forehand. When she doesn't, she either shanks it or it, it lands super short. And because of her hand placement on it, it's, it's a very high sitting ball. So if her opponent gets up to it quickly, they can, you know, attack it and usually punish it for a winner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's because it sits up like that. Mm-hmm. But everything else looked pretty tight. Second set was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of second serve, it's, it's been announced or reported that she worked with Andy Roddick a little bit over the offseason. Which makes sense. Which makes sense and kind of helped uh, smooth out the abbreviated parts of her serve and then also tinker with her toss. She was doing a live interview with Chris McKendry from ESPN. I don't know if you saw that, but she literally handed her mic to Chris McKendry and showed the little things that she's doing to tweak her ball toss, which I think is endearing and cute, especially if you're a tennis nerd and kind of, can kind of pick up all that stuff. But the other side of me was like, Coco, let's not go on ESPN and show the world what we're working on so that it could potentially tick off certain things to our opponents. But that's the competitor in me, like thinking but, for another competitor, I guess. But also the competitor in me is like, I, I'm a sh- I can show you what I'm doing, but if you can't stop it, you can't stop it. And I, I kind of think that brings the confidence in which she has, like that new Farrell Grand Slam champion confidence, like, Hey, if my serve, if I if I'm hitting my serve, I'm hitting my serve, and you ain't gonna be able to do nothing about it. Which is kind of very reminiscent of two other players that she kind of idolizes. Like, if I'm playing my A game, <laughs> what are you gonna do? If, if I'm playing, what what did Serena say before an Australian Open? If I'm playing my best, there's no one on the women's tennis tour that beats me. Something along those lines. She said it uh, in a very confident statement one year. I remember that. And I was like, oh, I love it. I, I do love that confidence. But I also would keep some things close to my chest about what I'm working on just so my opponent has to work overtime to figure out what it is they have to do to beat me. That's just me personally. I'll keep some things close to chest and still remain confident, but also know that what I know is what I know and what my, what my opponent doesn't know they have to figure out. That's just me personally. Um, but yeah, also comments on her outfit were pretty great. She's wearing a yellow and navy uh, two-piece crop top, crop top kind of superhero esque um, outfit with her matching signature shoes that I think look so great on her. Makes her look so much. I mean, she's athletic already, but the shoes and the outfit combo makes her look even more athletic and kind of uh, special out there. What do you think? I, I like the kit. Um, I think yellow on the blue courts in Australia works very well. Australia is a colorful slam period. Like, so anytime you're doing bright colors in Australia, I feel like that's a win, but definitely age appropriate. Um, I like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love that. I, we, we have to keep that in mind, by the way, because a lot of people give their commentary about Coco and sometimes you can, it seems like they've forgotten that she's legitimately still a teenager. So her wearing the stuff that she's wearing is totally appropriate for a 19 year old girl. 
and you know wishing her health and a great long career we'll see how all of the rest of that develops because we've seen similar to her idols venus and serena their style elevated as they got you know more mature and spent more time on the court and spent more time with figuring out what they want their style to be and i and think Coco will more say so in what happens in your style department because people must realize again yes you get a sponsorship and you have to earn cachet with these uh, markets mm. to say, no, I'm not wearing that. Or can I get this in a different color? Or can I change this tweak that like all of that comes with a certain amount of cachet that you have to earn by winning. Mm-hmm. And, and you, know, you have multiple players in the same kits because you haven't earned <laughs> them to they sponsor you like. Yeah. yeah, we sponsor you, but you're gonna wear what we tell you to wear because we're right. we're paying you. <laughs> and, yeah, I agree. As a as a reigning U.S. Open champ, top uh, three in the world, I think Coco deserves a little bit of input as to what she's wearing, and she looks good. I'm not I'm not complaining about it at all. So I also like yes. Naomi's kit for for what it's worth. Again, somebody who's earned some cachet with Nike to do, <laughs> to do what they she want said- to do. She said, I just saw I read the quote that she said she was a little bit sad that she lost because it was a great outfit. And right. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I, she's not wrong. And, you know, there's been some outfits that Naomi has worn that I was like, yes, but not quite. This one, I feel like, <laughs> for what is worth considering, I was like, this is actually probably the best she has looked like head to toe. Hey guys, if you're enjoying today's episode, please take a look at the episode description, support the growth of the show by grabbing a coffee from the link, and while you're at it, be sure to engage with Tuned Into Tennis on social networks. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook is where you can find us. Leave a review if you like what you're listening to so far, and let's get back to the show. I didn't love just, you know, I'm not nitpicking here, just stating my opinion. Don't shoot me down. I didn't love the ponytail under the hat. I did not see how the court or in the picture, because those are two different things. On the picture, it looked great because that was styled and it wasn't in motion. But on the court, when she's, you know, playing at an elite level, it. It, it it didn't add anything. That's for sure. It didn't it didn't add any intrigue to me. And she she has a, a head full of hair that she could have just worn like she normally does. So that extra added ponytail didn't add to the uh, drama of the look. It kind of to me it kind of looked like it was getting in her way a little bit. But you know, that's, hey, you, it, that's one of the beauties of tennis. I think is you can go out there and show off your own style, even if that is an ever changing and evolving thing, like how you feel at the Australian open might not be how you feel at the U S open. So those styles might come out a very, very differently, which I think is cool. You know, right. I think she's also trying to play into her Asian heritage because this is the slam of, you know, the Asian Pacific. So kind of giving a nod to that side of her heritage as well. So, Love I think that. that was more so like again, like the overall look, um, the hairstyling, all the jazz. Again, Asian Pacific Slim, you know, you, you show your roots in that manner. I love that. I was I actually kudos to me. I I think I'm like five or six chapters into Naomi Osaka's book. It's not a self uh promoted book. It is written by Ben Rothenberg, so that makes it a autobiography, right? Or a biography. biography. I'm not sure. Biography, because she didn't she didn't write it herself. It's written about her from the uh, from a from the lens of people who know and love her and have given uh, some statements and stories to the 
author of the book, Ben Rothenberg, who I believe uh, is a, I know he's a journalist, but I believe he's worked with the New York Times, some other, some other really big outlets. So it's good so far. I'd pick it up. I have it on audiobook thanks to Spotify and I recommend it. So go Naomi Osaka, looking forward to seeing her back on the court in the next couple of weeks or months rather, because I think she said she's going to play Dubai, which is not that far away. So it'll be interesting to see if she does and how she looks there. Okay, um, I'll let you decide where we go after this because we have a a little bit more time left before we got to get out of here. Who else uh, stood out for you? Did you did you want to go the Tiafo route? Did you want to go uh, Djokovic? Maybe possibly. Who else? I'll let you decide. We'll definitely go the Tiafo route, but before we do that, do want to give a scoring update. Sloan won in straight sets, so she yeah. did. Okay, yes, thank you, Sloan, for making us sound no like wonderful analysts. Yes, yeah, no drama, which we love safely. Into six the three round. six one, yeah, six three yeah. six one is a hell of a scoreline, and yeah, she should be proud of that. Go, go, Sloan. But yeah, we can definitely head um, to the Tiafo slash men side of. The first couple of days of the Aussie Open. I think since we were just briefly talking about Coco's kit, did you like Tiafo's kit from Nike? I personally did not. <laughs> I'm just slightly confused, not by just Francis about what Nike is doing with that particular kit, because yeah, <laughs> it's the black shorts and the white sleeves on the shirt. Like, mm-hmm. can we not get like? Is there a darker shirt? Is this like a yellow shirt with the black that they have or white shorts? Like I just, for me, or yellow shorts, either or. It's just. It wasn't cohesive. It it wasn't cohesive and he didn't look as cool as he has been looking on the court for the past year or so. What did he call it? The cherry blossom? I was was a fan of the cherry blossom uh, tank situation. Last year? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I think he should always be in the tank if you ask me. I mean, I, I, I listened to a podcast he was on and he made some references about what he can and cannot eat or or tries to be aware of so he can stay in his in his words very diesel on the court which he's a professional athlete like that's part of the that's that's part of the gig um but he he looks he looks good he just got with jose he looks very fit i think jose and i was gonna say jose uh diego moyano seems to be putting an emphasis on that who he Mm -hmm. just switched to his his lead coach in the new season i posted that video that uh, his coach posted on instagram that got a lot of traction because let's just say the bakery was open the tiafo bakery was open um if you know you know and (laughs) he looks fit he looks fit, but not uh, a fan of that uh, that ice bath or ice ice tub. Yeah, no, ice cold water. I don't tub. think most athletes are. Like as a former track athlete, uh, definitely was not a fan of the ice pool. Preferred the heat, um, but mm-hmm. especially people adding ice once you're already in it. Like once you acclimate, please do not add any ice because now you just got to jump in. You just got to jump in, get your get whatever the benefits are, and get out of there. It's not supposed to be an all day thing. <laughs> Again, don't add any ice once I'm already in here, please. And <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad that Tiafo didn't add any unnecessary drama to his match because it got a little sticky. I mean, it was always going to be a tough out. I, 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 there were, I think the, the opportunities for a dramatic match were nullified when Tiafo raised his level, and Chorich from the match I saw definitely. Uh, leaked some errors off his forehand and, and butched some, some volleys. Yeah, he 
Chorich, Chorich wasn't as sharp as he could be, but Tiafo played appropriately for the level his opponent was at. And um, I think Tiafo looks good so far. I wasn't thrilled with his performances before Australia, which was just one tournament in Hong Kong. He lost 6-4, 6-4 to Jerry Shang, which is a match he should be winning, honestly. I know Jerry Shang is a talented teenager from China, and he's showing a lot of he's showing a lot of promise and people are kind of, you know, wanting to see what he does. But he's not here yet. Tiafo is a top 20 player and she should have he should not be losing to players outside the top 100 in straight sets. That's just something we got to weed out. Um, but in his match in Australia against Chorich, he looked like he was prepared for the fight against Chorich. They hadn't played since 2018. So you can kind of throw that out of the window. And Chorich actually won that match back in 2018 in Davis Cup. So that was his first ever win over. Uh, th- that was Tiafo's first ever win over Chorich. So that was good to see. Outside of the the kit looking, you know, discombobulated, his game looked pretty good. I think he dropped the third set. Yes. In a tie break? No. No. Let's look that up. Let's look that up. The he won the second in the tie break after being down a break. And I, yeah, lost. I did watch the tie break. I watched the yeah, tie break. He lost that, that third set pretty handily. Um, they had a couple mm-hmm. of tight games in the at the beginning of the set, and then Francis kind of went away in the um in the third, but then bounced back and was a lot more focused in the critical points, especially towards the end of the fourth, which I think bodes well for him going forward. Um, okay. Just getting, I, win, just getting a win, just getting a win for him is is good. I, I agree. Walking up to the to the net, getting wins is something that Tiafo just consistently has to keep doing, especially over opponents that are ranked lower than him. Like I think that's something that he has to shore up in his game. Like the losses that are kind of head scratching, they can happen because you know tennis is a long year and you can't win them all. But sometimes those head scratching losses over a season for Tiafo, they rack up and it impedes what I think could be his ultimate success, which is winning a slam or winning a Masters 1000. You know, he has to shore up coming out to play against opponents that he is supposed to beat on paper. But all that said, that four set win over Chorich, 6-2, 7-6, and then 6-3 ultimately in the fourth was a good showing. I think he could go far. I think there is a potential a rematch of his Australian Open match in 2023 against Karen Hatchinoff. There's there's a third round match of rematch of that looming. Um, He needs to be sharp. He needs to be on it. He needs to be putting in his dynamic game the best way that he can. I I think for him for him to get past Hatchinoff. Yeah, I think, um, and it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out the rest of the year. He now does not have. Didn't I, didn't I tell you to turn that off, Tobias? <laughs> it's okay. Get, get your emails. Get your emails. It's fine. Um, I think now that he doesn't have that monkey of uh, the U.S. Open semifinal, like kind of hovering and looming, mm. he may play a tad bit freer because I feel like, especially at the U.S. Open, you could kind of see the tension and the mm-hmm. pressure that was kind of weighing on him, and now like. Yes, he won a couple of titles, and so he still has to defend those points. And he did make it to the semis of Indian Wells as well, which will be here sooner than we realize. I still feel like that is going to help him. Like, now that he kind of has that behind him, he can kind of play a little freer. And he only made it to the third round um, everywhere else but um, the U.S. Open, so he can always 
gain those points back earlier and quickly. Mm-hmm. So again, that's not necessarily an issue. Like that's not looming as well. I want him to up his game back up and get back up into that top 10 rank he had going into Wimbledon. I think there's opportunities for it to happen. He just has to be the man with the plan and go out there and play smart and play the game that gives a lot of players uh, trouble. So if he's playing well, he can hang with the best, I think. So I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little biased because I like Tiafo, but He just has to execute. Execute, the, yes. In the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. The right shots at the right moment. Shots yep. I agree because he has the tools. Um, somebody else that I think has the tools that has not been showcasing them the best. I think you might know where I'm going. He got a uh, dramatic five set win just a couple hours ago. In uh, I'm talking yeah. about Felix yeah. Felix Auger Aliassime. He needed that win. He got that yes, five set win. He got that five set win over Dominic Team. He made it a whole hell of a lot more interesting than it had to be. Could he was three. Yeah, it could have been swept away in three straight sets. In the third set tiebreak, he was up 5-2 and then didn't win another point, a point after that in the tiebreak. And he just he just got derailed. There were some forehands that um, were approach shots that he missed long that were not hard shots to really deal with. And I think that is a, a huge indicator to me that we have to tamper with that string and racket setup because everything looks fine in that shot except the execution of it. And to me, some of those things, being like the tennis nerd that I am, some of those really, really small things can be helped by the technology that's in the racket and the strings these days. And he just has to be open enough to try that and i get the idea i get the i get the impression rather that felix is not very open to to change or as open as he could be because there's been some pressure now for a couple of seasons for him to rectify or make better sense of his coaching situation but based off of his quotes and his answers to those inquiries he seems very content and wants to build with the people he already has when in some cases in order to get the best house, you got to outsource and try different things. And I'm not sure if he's the most willing to do that. And I would just want to take him sometimes. He'd be like, can we, like, maybe we don't play the Dubai Doha schedule of February. And we have like a small two to three week uh, training block. Let's try some different things out and see if you like it. Because there's evidence from other professional tennis players that when you make switches to your gear, sometimes better things happen for you. There's evidence there. Ben Shelton's one of them. He changed his strings right before that U.S. Open semifinal run, and he was not doing much between Australia and and the U.S. Open of last year. So there's evidence there. Serena changed her strings. Serena changed her strings after that Rosano loss in 2012, and she went on a tear. Like, there's evidence to back up what I'm saying. It's not just in my head, you know? Question, since I'm, because, as you know, Definitely just recently kind of got into the whole string patterns and mm-hmm. stream situation. That was kind of something I was not necessarily um, informed on. Do you know what his string pattern is currently and or and what he's playing with string-wise? I want to say he's a, a pure Babolat setup guy. Like, he's playing with a Babolat frame, which produces a lot of power and spin on its own, which is fine because I think he does need spin. I just don't think that the extra pop that that racket is giving him plus the I think he plays with the RPM blast rough. 
which is, again, supposed to be a string that bites into the ball, but it's also kind of powerful at the same time. Everything, in my opinion, everything Babolat produces is about getting the most power and velocity on your shot that you can. And if you look at it, a lot of the players who play with Babolat are either strong enough to control that themselves, think about Rafa Nadal, and they have like the the, the control to, to handle a racket that gives them power and spin, or there's somebody that needs a little bit of extra pop, think Leila Fernandez. She plays with the Babolat, and the Babolat that all three of them play with, Felix, Leila, and Rafa's a little bit different because this is more customized. They're, they're, they're from the same family of rackets, and to me, Felix has enough natural power that he needs to be playing with something that gives him a little bit more curl into the into the ball. That could be a Wilson racket, that could be a head racket or a Giannis racket. Maybe even Technifiber, because Technifiber is also a French company similar to Babolat. I'm not sure, but if anybody that knows anybody, one of these sponsors, maybe he needs to win a little bit more to kind of get back up in that top top 10, top 15 relevancy for the sponsors to kind of want to go his route um, with getting with chasing him out, outside of Babolat, or he needs to be the person that does that. It's like, hey, let me just change something out because I feel it in my game because I can see it. I can, I can see how it would benefit him. It's just I feel like he can't see it at all. So all of that being said, he did get a win. It's just that... Um, it didn't have to be that. It didn't have to be that dramatic. It did not have to go five sets. Spare a thought for Dominic Team, though. So I feel like it was a. When I saw the draw, saw the matchup, I did not necessarily think it was going to be a straightforward match going into it. I kind of thought it was going to be five sets because both of them have been playing scratchy for a while now, right? But the fact that. Felix was playing as well as he was and got to a position where it could have been three. I was like. Now I just need you to close the door, step over that hurdle, mm-hmm. and help your confidence. Because, like, yes, the confidence comes from getting the win, which, again, like you said, he legitimately needed. But you probably would have got more confidence if you closed it out in three. Yep, because now the next time you go up to serve out a match or something like that, I can't blame you if you're thinking about the last time that happened was just a couple days ago against Dominic Team, and you're kind of – struggling to close the door so i don't want him to, I, there's how do i put this there's potential for felix rj aliasin to carry a lot of baggage that whole and eight finals thing was something he had to get off of his, his his back now he's having to contend with the fact that he's not in the conversation for the upper echelon of next best tennis player because alcaraz and center and runa have all you know fared better than him it's the same their success with yeah, they've they, they've had their breakthroughs and they've done enough to stay relevant that people are picking them to be potential Grand Slam champions. And unfortunately, people are not doing that in 2024 for Felix Auger because he hasn't given them a whole bunch of um, room to believe that he could. He's won, he's lost outside of this Australian Open win. He lost three first rounds in 2023 at the Grand Slams. First round of the French, first round of Wimbledon, first round of the U.S. Open. Granted, there were some health concerns. Uh, He still has his knee taped up, and I think that could also be part of the problem, that he's not allowing that to heal properly, even if that means a significant time away from the court. I'd like to see him healthy. There's just just a lot going on in the FAA camp, and I'm wishing him the best because he's still a great watch, and I I really appreciate how his – how his his take on professionalism in the sport, but there's still something to be desired for me in 
the game and the mindset. Because I think if he had a more open mindset, he would realize that there are things that he could be doing to improve his game. And he's just not open to them, really. So, But he's in the second round, and I'm open to see what happens after that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, your your call again. We got about ten minutes left before we got to get out of here. Anybody else before we look to back again to who is currently playing? Because there's some interesting results and some interesting players playing as we record this. Anybody else that has already competed? They're competed in and completed their first round match that you wanted to spotlight a little bit. Just wanted to touch on um, Taylor Townsend. Yeah, well, yeah, oh, both <laughs> both the Taylors. <laughs> What other Taylor? Fritz? Yeah. Oh, Taylor Fritz got the W, but did not play well against a player that I can't remember ever seeing play on the the ATP tour before. So, unfortunately, Taylor Fritz and Andre Rublev are twinning in the fact that they will take a player that is either outside the top 100 or barely inside the top 100 and make their showcase at a Grand Slam one to remember because they are going to take them to five sets for absolutely no reason. Like at the beginning of his career where he was just playing five sets just to play five sets. He said Zverev was doing that? Yeah, like... Yeah. Like, so it's very, like, yeah, we're just going to play five to show you I can play five, which is... Yeah, just because we can. <laughs> it's cute, but kind of drains you. If you and and then, the they get, then they get on the, the mic afterwards, like, that was a battle. And it was like, did it have to be? Like, from watching, it didn't really have to be. <laughs> no, it didn't. It did not have to be. Sometimes your opponent just plays out of their shoes, but that wasn't the impression I got from uh, Taylor Fritz's opponents and Rublev's opponents. It, it gave, they made, their opponents played well enough because, you know, it, it does take two to tango in tennis, but a, a lot of both of Taylor Fritz and Taylor Rublev's matches against lower-ranked players, lower-ranked players, the ball is in their court. They have the tools to put things away, and when they don't, it just makes it even messier than it needs to be. And that is one of the reasons why neither of them have a slam. They they expend so much energy in that first week, mm-hmm. you know, competing at a lower level against, like, sometimes I feel like the players they play against bring their level down, and you should be shining against the players that are ranked 100 spots below you, you know? So they're playing down to the competition instead of making their competition play up. Yeah, they 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 did, and then Taylor Townsend. I'm I didn't catch any of that match. I, it was a little bit late, and I think it would may have it w- it was over before I really got a chance to see how Taylor played. But the scoreline was not great. I think it was six one six three or something thereabouts. It wasn't it wasn't Taylor's best performance just from that scoreline. But Paula Badosa is a tough draw. Badosa hasn't played much since Wimbledon, carrying a back injury. I was hoping for that to be a lot more competitive. But you know, I'm taking I'm taking the good with the bad. Taylor is still playing pretty great. In doubles, mm-hmm. she just picked up another title in Adelaide with her new partner Bia Haddad Maya, and yeah, hopefully she can take her. I mean, her trip to Australia is not done. It's not done at all. She still has doubles to play, and who knows how far she can go with that. So, still rooting for the best for good to see Ms. Paula. Taylor yeah, good to see Paula back and actually, you know, getting the win because she, when she is playing and healthy, she is also dangerous. I think with former top two. Yeah, Paul Badoso did get to world number two in 2022. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, again, all things considered, not a – obviously, you wanted that to be more competitive, but not a bad loss, per se. 
per se. Could have been better, but you know, we move forward. Um, Gael Monfils got a straight sets win in the first round over Yannick Hoffman. Right. He, that could have been a matchup in the second round against Andy Murray, but Andy Murray did not look good in his first round loss to uh, Echeverry. The British press are already gathering up their uh, their articles about calling to see if that's the last Australian Open he's ever going to play. Is he retiring soon? I get it because that performance was not great, but I also have seen some some uh, thoughts and uh, people expounding that you shouldn't really be asking athletes about when they're going to retire, especially after a loss. And I see that perspective too. So, yeah. we've already done like we've done that with him, right? Like, yeah, he literally announced his retirement some years back. We've and, done that with him. He got the new hip. He's had some bright spots, some moments where it's like, mm, huh, maybe. <laughs> um, but again, like you said, like it's, it's you shouldn't ask somebody like. In immediately after a loss, like, what are your plans? Like, this is not the NFL. Like, I'm not going to tell you I won and I'm going to Disney World. Like, we don't really need to <laughs> do all of that. Plus, this is the beginning of the season. Lord forbid if he goes and wins Wimbledon this year, like, yeah, he's not quitting. Uh, Tobias, I got to level with you. That's not happening. No, but you see, if he, has a, if he has a very good result somewhere between now and the end of the year, it could change his perspective. Yeah, it's not, he could have told you tonight, oh, yeah, you know, this is my last Australia. I'm not making a trip again. And, again, wins a Masters 1000 or whatever, or is competitive in a Masters 1000 final. And it's like, you know what? I still got a couple left in me. Like, So what are we doing? We'll see. I'm, again, I've said this a couple times, wishing the best for Andy Murray, but it does seem like there is little gas left in the tank to be able to hang with some of these guys. And if he's not performing on the tour to get his ranking up, he's always going to be uh, susceptible to a bad draw. And if, if he doesn't... He's going to have to if change he, his playing style. Is what it's gonna, if he wants to stay on the court, he's going to have to change his playing style. You know, similar to what I was saying about Felix Auger-Aliassim and changing his racket and gear, there was a period where Andy Murray tried to do that in this in this comeback of his post the hip surgery. And he didn't... He didn't I don't know if he didn't gel with it, but it didn't seem like he took enough time with the bigger head frame and the more powerful racket to get adjusted to it. It kind of was like, uh, that didn't work for me. Go back to what I know. And it's like, at this stage of your career, you have to be more flexible, even if that means taking a step back results-wise, only to be propelled further like a rubber band. I always use that analogy sometimes. Sometimes life will literally make you do that, like pull you back. And you're like, oh my God, why is this happening? I'm not I'm not trying to preach here, but like, why am I going backwards? Why am I going backwards? And it's literally only to propel you forward, but you have to be open to kind of being backwards to go forward, if that makes any sense. And I'm not sure he was willing to make some of those sacrifices and kind of suffer a little bit before he propelled forward with that new gear. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Mr. Andy Murray. We'll see. Um, we're also going to see what happens in some of these live matches as we record this because Iga Swiatek is playing Sophia Kennan. That's an interesting matchup because that's a rematch of the French Open in 2020. The awkward year was played in October. And uh, Sophia Kennan is a former AO champ. And that just is an interesting match on paper. And Sophia Kennan was up a break early in the first set, but Swiatek has gotten it and it's three all in the first set so that'll be out of date by the time you hear this 
please let me know what you think of that matchup on socials. What do you think about that matchup, uh, Tobias? I think it could be very interesting. Again, if Sophia is playing the way she uh, has been playing, like in trending, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to uh, look um, at her win from Wimbledon last year and how they kind of projected her to do better because she hadn't really been doing great prior to, and I had that also propelled Coco at the same time because that's typically not how that works out. But, yeah, no, she's been playing fairly well, and if she is playing the tennis that won her the Aussie Open a few years back, I definitely feel like she is somebody who could beat Iga just because of the pure, like, she takes the ball super early, and so she could give her some problems on her forehand, like um, people do with Coco a lot. Hmm. I am open to seeing how that works out. I'll be turning that match on as soon as we wrap up here, which is about now because it is time for us to get on the 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 twitter of things and have our open space and dialogue where we can kiki and cackle while we're watching some live matches and i'm interested to see what our friends in tuned into tennisville are thinking about this eager match versus kennan so let's let's wrap up here any any final thoughts that you wanted to uh leave our listeners with before we get into the australian open days ahead um just um, hey guys, get if if you get used to the time schedule and the changes, everything is okay. You know, this this is the best advice I can give you because I feel like that's the hard part about the Australian Open is that the times are flipped and opposite, so you don't really know when your people are playing. Hashtag up all night. Remember Australian Open used to use that up all night. Yes, that, was, that should, was some good marketing. They should bring it back. Yes, they should. <laughs> Because with, like, with matches like Felix's, you will be up, up all night. Oh, that's what I wanted to bring up about Felix and Francis. That time slot, I know it kind of seems um, it seems very daunting to see your favorite player play at like 4 a.m., but you got to make some provisions for what happens before, those, before their match. Sometimes it does go on a little bit longer. And then also... Waking up to some tennis, especially if it's as dynamic and energetic as what Francis and Felix can bring to the court, that's not a bad recipe to start your day with some coffee and some uh, fun tennis. I, I, I kind of enjoyed waking up to Francis still being on my television and being enthralled in a mic in a match. You know, I enjoyed that. As long as it's not stressful, that's 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 not the way you want to start your morning. Yeah, but I mean, it gives you a jolt of energy either way. Either you're going to head into work, you're going to head into work frustrated and maybe take out on your coworkers, or you're going to be happy as hell because your favorite player won. So, you know, it's up to you how you decide to uh, take on that energy. It's up to you. (laughs) Hopefully you have taken on our energy between uh, Tobias and I, and you've enjoyed this look into the first couple of rounds or not even the first couple of rounds the first round of the australian open first couple days and you are pumped up for the remaining of the days in the australian open because it should be a good one i'm hoping i'm hoping it's a good one and there's a lot of good matches potentially in the draw so with that being said thanks for tuning in with me and tobias tobias thanks for coming on the show i appreciate your time and we will talk soon everyone Take care and watch some tennis. Tune in with me on socials. Don't forget about following on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that fun stuff. I'll be there until I'm gray in the beard (laughs) talking tennis. Okay. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.